and call by name, take a seat there, and we'll get going here. Well, Happy New Year. Was it a good one? Yeah, awesome. Thanks for uh, starting the year out right and uh, being with us this morning. And uh, we're starting a new uh, new message series this morning called uh, Worldview. And uh, what we're going to do over these next Sundays is uh, each Sunday uh, take the time to look at um, a different view, to look at a different belief system that's out there and and uh, try to compare that and contrast it, get an understanding of it and uh, and uh, understand how we're different and where, where it's different. You know, one of the things that, that always happens to me as a pastor is that people will come to me and they'll ask me about a, another faith tradition of some sort and then they'll say, so so what's it all about? And 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 what's the difference? Why are we different? And uh, they sound the same. They, we use the same language, but you're telling me you're different. Why are we different? So uh, what we're going to do this morning is uh, uh, look at one of those traditions and then next week another one, the next week another one, and try to discern uh, how, what some of those differences are. And it's important for us to do this uh, because Scripture warns us that we need to do this. If you, uh, if you go into, uh, into the Word, you go into Matthew 7, uh, Jesus gives us a word of uh, warning. Uh, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you dressed as sheep, but inside they are devouring wolves. Do you get a word of warning? You know, before he left his disciples, he understood what was going to happen after he departed. And so he gives us kind of, kind of wording. Now, notice what he's warning them about. He says, Beware of those who come looking like what? Sheep, but in actuality are wolves. But they're going to look like sheep, but in actuality they are wolves. You get the you get the contrast, right? The key is they're going to look like on the surface everything's going to sound like, everything's going to feel like, everything's going to seem like they're sheep. I mean, they may use the same language that we use. They may use the the same uh, you know, kinds of worship styles with you. I mean, there may be all kinds of things that you can point to another tradition and say, well, it looks like us, it sounds like us, it must be a sheep. But Jesus is warning us and saying, wait, wait a minute, don't take it for granted. Investigate, look it over, because there are going to be some who come to you and they look like sheep, but in truth, they are wolves. They look like they're sheep, but in actuality, they are the opposite. They are far from what it means to be in the truth. We get that word of warning from Jesus. We equally get that uh, specifically from uh, 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2 says, There will be false teachers among yourselves. Where are they going to be? Among ourselves. They're going to look like us, right? Among ourselves who will subtly and stealthily introduce heretical doctrines, destructive heresies. What are they going to introduce? Heretical doctrines. It's right there, right? They're going to introduce heretical stuff that's just not true. It's going to be close, but it's so far away. It's going to sound close, but it's going to be so far away. It's just subtly introduced, right? And it will go to the extent, he says, of even denying and disowning the master who brought them. And so the real litmus is some of this heresy and this doctrine that seems like it's okay is in actuality so far away from the truth that it even takes Christ out of the equation or re-understands who Jesus is. Now, this is important for us. This is serious for us. 
uh, because it's easy for us to get complacent. Uh, I have to just share a personal thing with you. It's like my worst bumper sticker. You know, you see bumper stickers all over, right? And, and my, I got to tell you, my worst personal bumper sticker is the bumper sticker I see all over the place that's all these symbols on it, religious symbols on it, and then it's supposed to say to you, coexist. Have you seen that bumper sticker? Yeah, I just, it's me. I'm sorry. But that's just like my worst bumper sticker because I just, I want, it, I want, them, I want everybody to know the truth. And I know those symbols on there aren't in the truth. It, and I can't get comfortable with that bumper sticker. I, I can't just relax and step back and say, oh, yeah, should, we should all just coexist and be comfortable. I can't get comfortable with that be, because I know a truth. I know what the real truth is. It's been revealed, and, and I know what it is. And so I can't just step back and get comfortable and say, well, well, it's okay. Just they do their thing, we'll do our thing, and everything just coexists. And everything's comfortable it, it, because I know the truth. Paul warns us in, in 2 Corinthians about getting comfortable with that mentality. Okay? He's talking to the Corinthians. He says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, now look at this, you put up with it easily enough. Why does he scold them? Because they put up with it. They just kind of say, well, that's the way it is. And they put up with it. See, it's important for us to understand where other people are coming from so that we have that opportunity to not just understand them, but to be able to be in dialogue with them constructively about what we know to be the truth. So today we're going to take that and we're going to, we're going to compare and contrast just a little bit. We can't do it all, just don't have enough time. But we're going to compare and contrast some, some basics with understanding uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And I suspect that this is a common experience for many of you, that you've been at home and, and the doorbell's uh, you know, gone off, and so you go to the door and... And standing at the door are uh, two well-dressed, nice-looking people, you know, two women, uh, nice, well-dressed, nice-looking people, and, and uh, very pleasant, very good people. And, uh, of course, they want to come in, and they want to sit down, and they want to talk to you about their Bible. And I suspect many of us just kind of say, hey, you know, I, no, that, you know, and then before it's all done, you get a tract, and you close the door, and they walk away. Right? You had that experience? Uh-huh. So this is common. Okay, so this is who we're going to try to understand. Who are these people? What are they really about? What's the differences? Uh, because they come to our door, and so we ought to be able to know who it is that's coming to our door, right? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses were started by a guy named uh, Charles Russell. He was born back in 1852. And Charles Russell was born and was raised uh, a Presbyterian. But uh, in his teens, in his early teens, he began to question and doubt some of the basic teachings that he was receiving uh, in the church. And so by the time he was 16, he began to really uh, formulate and, and think about things completely differently than what he was being taught uh, uh, in the church. And as he grew, he could, as he got older, he continued to formulate uh, these ideas so that as a young man, he began to actually publish these 
thoughts, these ideas, these concepts that he had in contrast to uh, what he was receiving uh, in the church. So that by the late teens, he was publishing this. Now, what's important for you to note is that um, Charles Russell never had any formal biblical training, uh, and he never had any uh, seminary experience at all. He, he just was a guy who was growing up and hearing it, and he was not comfortable with what he was hearing, and so he started doing his own thing and writing his own thing. So I'm going to just stop for a minute and give you a sub-note. You ready? Something important that you hear. If for whatever reason, if for some reason, uh, you end up ever leaving Christ Church, and, and I hope you never do, but if you move or, you know, some reason you end up leaving Christ Church and you look for another church and you go to another church, make sure you check out what the formal training is of those who are going to be teaching you. Make sure you check out what the formal teaching is of those who are going to be, who are going to be teaching and preaching into your life and opening the word to you. It's absolutely vital that those people are credible, that they have training, that they understand the word in its whole capacity, that they have the foundations of theological thought. Because here we have an example of what happens when that's not there. He just started postulating on his own, and he didn't check it out over and against learned theological understanding, and so he just started writing. And, and as he wrote, he began to publish uh, and that gave birth to what we came to come now to understand as the Jehovah's Witness. As part of that, he published something called the Zion's Watchtower in uh, 1879. And that's become the foundational kind of magazine, the Watchtower magazine for the Jehovah's Witness. And it's published absolutely uh, all over the, the world. Uh, one of the things that he got involved in as he was doing this rethinking of the word is uh, he started thinking about when Jesus was going to return. And like so many others, he got captured by that thought. And so he started predicting when Jesus would return. And so he first predicted that Jesus would return in 1874. Of course, 1874 came and went, and Jesus didn't return. He then predicted, no, I made a wrong, and just a small wrong calculation. And so that Jesus would return in 1878. 1878 came and went, Jesus didn't return. And so he's got to go back to the drawing board and rethink that. Uh, as he grew in his thought and the formulation, he was captured by the pyramids over in Egypt. And so he began to think that they were the key to understanding when Jesus was going to return. And so he finally predicted that Jesus would return in 1914. And of course, 1914 came and went, and Jesus didn't return. Uh, and then uh, uh, Charles Russell died in, uh, in 1916. His work was picked up by the next guy, Joseph uh, uh, Rutherford, and he was the leader from 1916 basically to 1942, and uh, he's the one that changed the name. Like every good leader that takes over an organization, you know, you want to put your own stamp on it so you change the name, right? So he changed the name to the uh, Watchtower Bible and Track uh, Society. And uh, also under his leadership, he uh, is the one that actually changed them so that they actually became known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, as they're known to us uh, today. And the key verse, I, I gave it there to you, is uh, Isaiah 43.10. Uh, is kind of the key verse that he put the foundation on for, for naming them Jehovah's Witnesses there. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord in, in honor. Um, he could not also stay away from doing some predicting, by the way. 
And so Rutherford predicted that Jesus would come back in 1925. And of course, 1925 came and went, and Jesus didn't come back. So he missed the mark on that one, too. Uh, he was followed by a guy named uh, Nathan uh, Knorr. Uh, and his big contribution to the movement uh, was the translation of the Bible. And so uh, under his leadership, the New World Translation of the Bible uh, came out. And we're going to talk about that in just, just a little bit, but just know that's when it came out under his uh, leadership. And he, too, couldn't stay away from predicting when Jesus was going to come back. And so he predicted Jesus would come back in 1975. And, of course, 1975 came and went, and, yeah, no, Jesus came back, okay? So then you go onward. These are the following leaders, uh, Frederick Franz, Milton Henschel. And uh, today the leader is a guy named uh, Don Adams, is the present leader of the uh, Jehovah's Witness uh, movement. Well, there's just a little history. Now let's get to some meat. Let's, let's talk about what some of those, uh, those uh, differences are uh, for us. Now, did you notice one thing that was consistent about all of the leaders? What did all the leaders do? Couldn't stay away from doing. All of them had to predict when Jesus was going to come back. Did you notice that? Now, this would be a problem, wouldn't it, for an organization? Uh, if every one of your leaders has predicted that Jesus was going to come back, and, of course, the year came and the year went, and no Jesus came back. So what happened in the movement of the Jehovah's Witness is a revelation came to one of the witnesses so that finally they, they realized and they began teaching that actually Jesus did come back when it was originally predicted, that Jesus came back in 1914. The difference is Jesus came back invisibly. And you can go to the webpage and read this stuff, by the way, that Jesus did return invisibly in 1914 and that he came, and, and so now, after his return, invisibly, he is now ruling this in-between time, this time of the Gentiles, it's called, until he returns again for the millennium experience uh, of, the, of the kingdom. And so now it's just this time of Jesus' rule, and, uh, and eventually then he will, he will come back again. Pretty good solution to a problem? Yeah. Well, okay, that's a good place to start with some compare and contrast, don't you think? I mean, the reality is that this is what's happened over in this organization, in this movement, right? In contrast to that, there's, there's a biblical view uh, of the mainline church, a biblical view of the church, of history, uh, that would say uh, basically what the scriptures say. And so if you go to Matthew 24, uh, Matthew 24 says, But about the day or hour, what? No one knows. Pretty simple, straightforward, right? Nobody knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, uh, but only the Father. Nobody knows, right? And so you always got to be cautious if organizations be, who begin teaching into your life are also doing some kind of predicting. Okay? You just got to be cautious because the reality is the Bible's pretty clear on this one, right? Look, nobody knows. Nobody knows when that time is, is going to be. So what, what we teach is nobody knows, but what's important then is not trying to predict what day or hour Jesus is going to come back. The important is how do you use the time you've got, right? That's what's important. What difference are you making in the kingdom of heaven for the cause of Christ? And how are you used the time and are you ready for that moment? Because it could be any day or any hour. Matthew 25 says, therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day. Uh, or the hour, right? And so, so for us, it's an understanding that says, look, we don't have to worry about predicting when he's going to come back. We know he's going to come back. 
What we have to do is be focused on taking advantage of every opportunity God gives us uh, in this time. Well, that's one of those subtle differences right there that you can see between the Jehovah's Witness, mo Witness movement and, and who we are as a Christian body, right? Um, fundamentally, it all comes down to understanding the Word and understanding the, the Bible. I mentioned to you that they came out with the New World uh, Translation. And what's significant about that is if you are a member of the Jehovah's Witness, the only Bible that you're allowed to use is the New World Translation. That's it. It's the only Bible that's the authorized version translation uh, for folks within the movement of the Jehovah's Witness. And interestingly enough, if you take the New World Translation and you compare that translation with all the other translations, what you'll find is in the New World Translations, there have been some subtle changes that have taken place. And those changes, interestingly enough, coincide with the teachings within the Jehovah's Witness movement. Let me give you an example of that, and it's going to lead us to some differences. Ready? If you look at John 1, 1, in the New World Translation, it says, In the beginning the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? A God. Now there's a change right there in the translation, and this is a significant change. I want you to notice two things. Number one, that one letter has been added, A. That letter's been added, and notice the last word. Is it capitalized? No. If you were going to capitalize God, you would refer to God, you would usually capitalize, wouldn't you? Right. Now look at the NIV. This is the NIV translation, common translation, well-respected you know, translation. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice, is it capital? Absolutely. And what's missing? That little letter there, A, right? You see, what happens when you start changing the Word, when you start changing translations, you change what the Word has to say to you, and it becomes a domino effect of changing that, changes the implications of what the Bible is teaching now you need to know that back to the 1300s, over a hundred translations of the Bible into English have done it this way. The only one that's translated this verse and put that A in there and made the G small is the New World Translation of the Bible. Why? Putting that A in there and making that G small just takes Christmas away. That's what it does. It takes Christmas away. You see, this is from the Gospel of John. And this is John's Christmas story. It's John saying, look, this is what's been happening. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And he was with God in the beginning. And before we get through the end of the chapter, he says, and that Word, that Word that was God, it became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. See, it's his Christmas story. It's his Christmas way of saying what Isaiah said. God is now with us. Remember Isaiah? Emmanuel, God with us. When you put the A in there and you change it to a small g, you just took Christmas away. Jesus now is no longer part of the Trinity. 
Jesus is just another good guy. He's just a human God. He's not part of the God. He's not part of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not part of a trinity. He's not co-equal with the Father who's been from the foundations of the world, who participated in in the creation of all that is. He's just a guy. You see what happens when you put A and G in there? You see, one of the differences is the Jehovah's Witness organization teaches that Jesus is just a good guy. He's just a guy. And in, in, it's possible they'll teach that he was the Archangel Michael who became in flesh. But they don't teach and understand that Jesus is the expression of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They remove Christmas and they remove the teaching of the Trinity. If you look at a teaching point, and you got the words for you there, from the Jehovah's Witnesses, it says that Christ is God's Son and is inferior to Him, that Christ was first of God's creations, so that Jesus was just created by God. There is only one God for Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah, and Jesus is not it. So if you make that statement, you just remove Jesus from the Trinity. You also remove the Spirit. From the Trinity. That's what they do. It says the Spirit is not God Himself, but a force that God sends forth or uses to accomplish whatever He wishes. The Holy Spirit is the invisible active force that God uses to fulfill His purpose. So the Spirit is not God. The Spirit in Jehovah's Witness teaching is just this Spirit, this thing, this movement that God sends forth to accomplish His purposes. And we have a problem with that. Why? This is a difference. Because for Christianity, For Christianity, the Bible teaches clearly about the Trinity. And it teaches clearly that Jesus was part of the Trinity. That Jesus is God in flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, right? And we can see that even as Jesus is doing his ministry. If you go to John 8, Jesus is talking and he says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. This is like a key thing. Jesus refers to himself as I am. Ever heard that before? Do your thinking, Caps. Go back to the experience of this guy named Moses who ran into a burning bush one afternoon up in a mountain. And he's talking to the bush, and the bush identifies himself as God, right? It's God speaking. And when Moses asks him, look, if I'm going to go do this, Who should I tell him sent me? God says, tell them, I am sent you. Do you see what Jesus just did? Why did they pick up stones? If you go into uh, John 5, you see it's real clear why they picked up stones. It says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Doing what? Making himself equal with God. What is he? Emmanuel. God with us. See the difference? See the difference? You see, when you start making changes in the word, it leads to a domino effect of all kinds of changes that continue to point, that continue to unfold. If you take Christmas out of the equation, The next domino that falls 
is you also take the cross out of the equation. If you take Christmas out, then you're also going to take the cross out. And this is what happens. If you go into this place, of course, what did you see on the front door when you came walking in? I hope you didn't miss it, right? It's pretty dang big, right? Big giant cross. What's in the middle of the back wall? Big giant cross, right? If you go into a kingdom hall, this is where Jehovah's Witness folks gather, you'll see that that's not present there. That's not present there because they don't believe in the cross, right? They, they understand Jesus was crucified, that he died, but they, they say on a stake or, or something like that, but they remove the experience of what the cross accomplished. So, for instance, in Jehovah's Witness teaching, it'll say Christ's human life was paid as a ransom for whom? Obedient humans. So you'll hear language similar to ours, that Jesus was obedient to the Father, absolutely. But remember, he's not God with us. He's just another human being. And so he was obedient, and he died obediently. And so everybody who dies obediently receives salvation. How about you? But i got a big problem with that. Because that's the case, I'm lost. Hey, I'm lost because I'm not that. I'm not obedient. I, I, I could never measure up to how obedient I need to be to be obedient. And if you take the cross out of the equation, I have nothing. Christianity teaches that it is all about the cross. It's not just... Christmas, God with us, but that Jesus Christ came to be with us, to die for us, because we couldn't be obedient. That he was everything we could not be. And our hope is in the truth of the cross. And when he died, he took all my weakness. And when he died, he took all my shame. And when he died, he took upon his shoulders every failure I have ever done or will ever do. And now I live for him, trying to be as obedient as I can, but I know it only comes by his grace. That's this way, Romans 3. Romans 3 says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Big difference, isn't it? Isn't that a big difference? The reality is we rely on the cross. The, the next thing you take out is if you take the cross out, you take the resurrection out. If you take the cross out, you take the resurrection out. Now, Jehovah's Witness folks, as they meet with you and talk with you, will teach, of course, that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The difference is they believe he only rose spiritually. He arose as a spirit person. Christ was raised from the dead as an immortal spirit person. Now, we're going to have three or four young people up here in just a little while and they are going to say, look, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to stay in the truth. And they're going to recite the Apostles' Creed. Do you know there's one really important line towards the end of the Apostles' Creed? And it's about the resurrection and what we believe. You know the line? It says, we believe in the resurrection of... Come on, run it through. We believe in the resurrection of the body, right? We believe in the resurrection of the body. That's what we believe. 
It's fundamental truth for us. We believe in the resurrection of the body. When, when Jesus rose, he rose in body. When they went into the tomb, he was gone, body and all. That his resurrection was a physical, bodily resurrection, and so will ours be. That's what we have to look forward to. We have to look forward to that time when our resurrection will take place and we stand on that hope because it happened for Jesus, it will happen for us. The Bible shows us that Jesus' resurrection was bodily. If you go to Luke 24, it says, They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have what? Flesh and bones. You see that? Resurrection of the body. You see, here is, is where we see differences that look like sheep, but ultimately take us far enough away from the truth that it becomes wolves. Now, I've given you on your handout a whole list on the fourth page there, giving you a whole list of kind of simple phrasing of some of the simple differences between Christianity and, and the Jehovah's Witness movement, right? And here's the way it's going to work for us. I can't go over that whole thing today because i got four kids who want to get confirmed. So we can't do all of that today, right? So what we're going to do is next week, give you a week to think about it, uh, but next week, in between the two services, we're going to have a forum upstairs in the youth room, and uh, you can come there, and we're going to talk next week more about those differences between us and the Jehovah's Witness movement, okay? And we'll do that each week with, with the next, as we talk about on Sunday morning, then the following Sunday, we'll talk about it uh, in between, okay? So we'll answer more of those questions. Uh, what I want to leave you with, though, is to think about, now, why take the time to do what we did this morning? Why, why, why is this important? Well, beyond the reality that the Bible warns us about this, right, that, that we stay in the truth. Beyond the reality, the Bible warns us about staying in the truth. The truth is, when I asked you this morning how many people had folks come to the door, did you notice all the people that had their hands raised? The reality is God is going to give you the opportunity to make a truth witness to somebody who's outside the truth. When I was in Burlington, I had uh, two ladies come to my door, and it was a Monday. Monday's my day off, and, uh, you know, kids were younger then and uh, not as obedient as they are now. And, uh, and uh, I was taking care of them, and, uh, you know, they came to the door, and, man, I thought, oh, this is a chance. I'm going to witness them. So I invited them in, of course, and we started talking. Of course, then, you know, one or two of the kids started crying right on cue. And, you know, I said, hey, you know, ladies, I'm sorry. i got to take care of my children. And so they left, and it was fine. Next week. Monday, they were back, same time. Invited them in. We went through the same scenario. One of the kids cried on cue. Said, "Guys, you know, I'm sorry, ladies, but I got to take my children." And and they left. Third Monday, they came back. The only difference was that Monday, I had a funeral in the afternoon, and so when they came to the door, I happened to be wearing this shirt. After they picked their jaw up off the cement, and came into the house. They stayed very briefly. We didn't really talk long at all. And, and they left me a track and scurried off. Next Monday, two men showed up at my door. They came in, and we sat down, and we talked. And we, but you know what it was for me? You see, as much as it was a chance for them saying, look, I'm going to witness, this was my chance to witness. Because those people are outside of the truth. They're outside the truth. 
I just showed you a few instances. There's so many more. They're outside the truth. And what are we supposed to do? We don't know the day nor the hour, but we are supposed to be ready, watchful, and take advantage of every opportunity, are we? Every opportunity to extend the kingdom of heaven and the truth found in Jesus Christ. We're responsible to extend the truth that four young people are going to stand up here today and say, I'm going to give my life to this truth. And if you give your life to it, you can spare some time to sit down on the couch with two people who come to your door and tell them there's no A and it's a big G and I know God and I know Jesus Christ and He is God with me. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the opportunity we have today to be in worship. Thank You for the chance we're going to have to just make that stand for You in our lives, to witness for You. And thank you that four young people today have that opportunity. We just pray now that you'd bless our time, our worship, and you'd bless their statement of faith, that they would stand over and against all the temptations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.